right. Welcome to Catalyst Church. My name is Zach Sutton. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome again to Catalyst Church. Thank you for worshiping with us. Um, This morning, before we even started the musical worship, we were already worshiping through prayer, and we battled for you before you even showed up today. And even better than that, we battled in the heavenlies for you today, because that is where the battles are fought, and that's where the battles are won. This, This time on earth is temporal, so we need to battle in the heavenlies where the eternal is. And so that was what happened for you today. Um, I would love to see more of you come and fight with us from 1015 to 1045 as we pray. We pray not just for this congregation, but for this county, for this state, for our nation, and this world, that they would come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So today we're going to be in Ephesians. We start another book of the Bible. I think that's uh, starting to be 16 or 17 books now as a church in the last five years that we have gone through. So praise God. The Word of God is going forth to our ears here, but then even further than that as we go to the nations in missions. So we're going to go through Ephesians 1 through 14 today. And uh, right now, um, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one. So please raise your hand if you don't have one, and we will gladly get one to you. And if you don't have a Bible, you don't own one, you don't own an ESV, which is what we teach from here, um, please Keep that Bible, compliments of Catalyst Church. We're not going to hunt you down and ask for it back. But please, if you end up buying yourself one and no longer need it, hand it on, pass it on to someone else that does. So let's pray, and then uh, we're going to jump right in to Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. Lord, thank you for delivering an unfailing message through failing men consistently on a daily basis, Lord. Lord, move me out of the way. You teach today. Father, you spoke already today. Where is your identity, children of God? Where is your identity, servants of God? If your identity is in the world, you're wasting your time. Lord, we pray that our identity is found squarely in you today. Move us through this world as we sojourn, as we venture through on the way to our eternal eternal glory. Lord, we pray right now, move me out of the way you teach, Holy Spirit. Move. Show us in the scriptures where where we have sinned and gone wrong, where where we are excited because of our blessings that you've given us. But Lord, you move today and you teach today. Don't let any of this be of man but let it all be of spirit, of son, and of father. It's in their name, Jesus, God, and Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so whenever we start a new book of the Bible, I like to um, make sure this is how I study at home. I pray that this is how you begin to study as well. But I like to know why in the world it was written. Why? Obviously, it's great instruction, but why was it written? We need to know the context. And the example I could think of this week is I wrote my son. He's in basic training right now. And as I wrote him, what I wanted to think about as I wrote him and wrote him instruction is that I'm writing a letter for him, but some of that instruction, if one of his friends was to read that letter, they could glean something from it, right? So even though Scripture is not written to you, it is written for you. 
Do you understand that point? That Scripture's not written exactly in that way because we need to know the context. We need to know, why did Paul write this letter to the church in Ephesus? Because if we don't know that, we're in danger of misinterpreting what Paul says in this letter. And that is dangerous, dangerous territory. And so when I start to read a new book of the Bible, or I read through it again, I go, okay, what is the who, what, where, when, and why of this book? Before I get started. The ladies right now in women's group are doing an inductive Bible study. Women, if you're not part of that, you should get involved in that. They are learning so much about the book of 1 Peter right now, and it is how I study myself. It's how Sarah studies. And getting in and learning the words, learning, like in 1 Peter, it's the Greek. But if you're in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew. Learning what those words mean. And today, I'm going to share one of those with you as, as we get into the first few verses, and then 1 through 14 of Ephesians, there's words in there that mean something. And they mean something specifically to the church in Ephesus, and now us as we try to come in and understand. So it's important that we understand the context of Scripture. So when I, when I think of my letter to Jeremy, I used words like a great wind. Do you remember the roof being blown off? Do you remember the trees coming down? That gentleman who might read it that's from California isn't going to understand that Jeremy went through a hurricane. So he's going to have to ask Jeremy, hey, why in the world did your dad use that language? Oh, well... Last year, in 2018, we went through a hurricane that was devastating. Now it makes sense to that gentleman from California. So likewise, we're going to dive in right now. So the who and where of the letter to the Ephesians. It was written to the church in Ephesus, which is now in modern-day Turkey. This church, because of rising rivers, the river that went through there, this church was moved quite often. They had to move their buildings and move where they worship. And so because of that, in the book of Revelation, in the seven letters to the seven churches, the church at Ephesus, Jesus says, I will remove your lampstand. When he says this, the church at Ephesus is going to remember, you know what? We have moved so many times. Jesus is going to move us again. He's going to remove us this time. So the church in Ephesus was near the temple of Artemis. If you know the seven wonders of the ancient world, that is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. If you're a homeschool mom, you're probably singing a song right now, <laughs> right? And specifically in the book of Revelation, God rebukes them for not following and staying in love with their first love, right? Loving God and loving others, their first love. They're rebuked. When? The letter to Ephesus is one of the four prison epistles. And what this means is it was written between A.D. 60 and 62. And A.D., if you remember, does not mean after death, like I believe, for like 20 to 30 years. It means the year of our Lord, right? 60 to 62. This is when Paul was in prison in Rome, house prison, house arrest, from 60 to 62. And in this, the what... Paul emphasizes the role of Christ because at this time, the church was under attack. Jesus' role was under attack. His identity was under attack. So Paul emphasizes the role of Christ, the role of church, and for believers to pursue holiness and righteousness. And why? 
So this is a little bit tougher to figure out. Ephesians doesn't exactly outline a purpose. Most of Paul's letters you can see in there, like the church at Corinth was a wreck, right? They had a lot going on, and Paul needed to rebuke them and fix some things. We don't necessarily see that with Ephesians. However, there is three goals. There are three goals outlined by Paul. He wants to strengthen the faith of the readers. I pray that today, that as we read through Ephesians, it strengthens our faith. The second one is unity in the body among the Jews and the Gentiles. Unity in the body among the chosen people and those that are grafted in. And then three, exhort the reader to pursue holiness, fighting against the powers of darkness. This is going to be an amazing journey, church. And I'm excited to to lead you through it, to teach with Cameron through it, for him to teach us through it as well. But Ephesians is one of those letters by Paul that can change your faith for the better in an amazing way. And I'm excited to dive in. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 3 right now. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Where is your identity? Paul's was firmly in what his calling was. Where's your identity? Some of you, I, I gave an example before of if you're feeding the, the sin in your life or the holiness in your life, whichever one you're feeding is going to overwhelm, right? Some of you are struggling with an identity that is grounded in your past, and so you're feeding that when God is calling you to something better and something bigger, and your identity is not in what he's called you to be. And so when I, when I started looking at this and this morning before prayer, Paul in these letters, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, not by my will, but by the will of God. This is who I am. And then in other letters, in the, the letter to the Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He does that throughout his letters, establishing his identity to remind everyone that reads it. And friends, it's to remind himself, I'm doing this because God called me to. You don't have to like it. You don't have to appreciate the way that I approach Scripture. You don't have to appreciate the way that I approach the Spirit of God. But you know what? I've been called, therefore deal with it. Deal with it. So when I read this this morning, Friends, there's some of you in here that are struggling with that identity. And it's time to read this and put your name in there. Zach, a preacher of the gospel, not named by men, but named by God. What is it for you? An evangelist, a prophet, a missionary, an intercessory prayer. What is it? a foster parent, an adoptive parent, a father, a mother. You have been called by God to a role and the enemy is going to come against it when you start walking in it and you fight it. You fight it. You claim it. That identity is important. And this world tries to steal it. We take it back in Jesus' name right now and we walk in those identities. to the saints who are in Ephesus, 
Who's he writing to? The saints. He's not just writing to friends or, or people that he knows. He's writing to the saints. You are saints. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, walk in that too. You're a saint. You have a promise of eternity from God, not from man. You're a saint. And then we get to verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see grace and peace together in Scripture, it's always in that order. Grace and peace. This is an amazing statement from Paul that oftentimes we just read, oh, that's just the intro to a book, so I'm just going to skip to the meat of it. Do you realize the rich doctrine and theology that is in that in itself? Like this is a whole sermon series right here, just grace to you and peace. Because you see, once you understand grace in your life, what Paul's saying here and what God is saying through him, once you understand grace, you're going to have a cessation of hostility in your life. That's the definition of peace. Once you fully understand grace, the unmerited gift from God, you suddenly have cessation of hostility in your life. Now, I'm not saying that the enemy is not going to come against you and try to tear you down, but what I'm saying is you're going to have a peace that surpasses what? All understanding. You can't have that if you don't understand grace. And that's why these are put together every single time that you see them together. It's grace and then peace. You can't have that cessation of hostility if you don't understand the doctrine of grace. The unmerited gift from God. You did nothing to deserve it. And if you don't like that, that's too bad. God has said in his word that grace is a free gift. There is nothing you can do. And we're going to get into that in chapter 2. There is nothing you can do. And you know why? Because if we could earn it ourselves, what would we do? We'd boast about it. And suddenly we're God. And Paul says that's not happening. Because it's a free gift from God. And once you understand it, the cessation of hostilities is over. This world can no longer touch you. Philippians 4, 7 says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Does he say that it's going to guard your body? Does he say that the enemy is going to stop bugging you? Does he say that, that, that disease isn't going to affect you? Does he say that your bank account's going to inflate just by a random occurrence in electronics and now you have all this money in the world and you can do whatever you want? No. He says... The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This world can't touch me. This disease can't touch me. I know where I'm going, and it doesn't matter what this says, because you know what? I know when my race finishes where I'm going to be. And we stand in the face of that bravely because Christ Jesus will fight for us in the heavenlies. Most of you know I love Charles Spurgeon. I read his um, teachings and I read his sermons quite often. But he said this concerning faith. Grace is the first and last moving cause of salvation. And faith, essential as it is, is only an important part of the machinery which grace employs. We are saved through faith, but salvation is by grace. Salvation is by grace. But understanding grace drives the rest of your relationship with Christ. 
understanding grace is the beginning that you can finally be free from this world and the traps of the enemy. But just as Spurgeon said to understand grace is to understand your own salvation, Paul closes out the greeting in verse 2 with Lord Jesus Christ. Now this might be new to some of you, but that's not his first, middle, and last name. That's not it. Lord, that's his title. Lord is his title. Jesus, that is his name. And then Christ, that's his position. He is the Messiah. He is God among us. Lord Jesus Christ, title, name, position. We can read right through that and not understand how much theology and doctrine is in those two simple verses that matter to our salvation, that matter to our faith, and matter to our interactions in this world. And then verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every, will you hear this? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He doesn't say some. He doesn't say these few. He says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But there is a fatherhood that is established here that we have to know. There is a fatherhood. He is our father. And as we'll read, he establishes that he is Christ's father and our father. We have been grafted into this relationship, into this inheritance, that we don't have to understand it fully. One day we will. But there is a fatherhood. There is a relationship now that when we're grafted in, we now have an inheritance that is coming our way in the form of spiritual blessings. And it's not just some spiritual blessings. It's all spiritual blessings. And does he say in this world? No, he says in the heavenly places. Okay, well, what does that mean? Paul, the apostle Paul, I'm thinking to myself like, Lord, what does this mean? Holy Spirit, explain this to me. What are, the, what are the blessings in the heavenly places then? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Isaiah 64, 8 says it this way about our relationship. I'm going to read 60, Isaiah 64, 8 through 9. But he says this, But now, O Lord... You are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. There is an established relationship among us and God the Father. And then Acts 17, 22-31 This is a powerful moment. This is Paul again as he addresses the Greek people. And he says this. This is 22 through 31 in the book of Acts. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. You have to remember because when he walks into this town, he passes a statue and he's about to say it. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, he doesn't even give them a name because they're just objects. They're false idols, 
false gods. I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, that is us. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of an imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he, fixed, he has fixed a day on which we will, he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That is who we're grafted into relationship with, God the Father. Friends, you're a child of God. Some of you grew up without a father. That's me. Some of you grew up with an abusive father, an addicted father. When God saves you, you are no longer attached to that legacy. You are no longer attached to that legacy. Do you hear that? Too many times I used the handicap of my father as an excuse for my life. You're no longer attached to that legacy. God is a legacy breaker, and he defeats that in your life. And your family here rebukes that in the name of Jesus. You're now grafted into a different legacy. And he promises to deliver you from the evils of this world to an eternity with him. So for all family, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're grafted into this family now, and you have the best father ever, the father who doesn't leave you sitting on the curb waiting to be picked up on a Saturday. You have a father that said, I sent another son for you to die so that you no longer have to be attached to that legacy. He defeated it. And so if you're delivered from the legacy of our earthly families, delivered into a, a new eternal family, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All right, now that we have established who we belong to, right? What are these blessings? What are these spiritual blessings? What I want to point out is in what theologians would call the Pauline manner, in the way that Paul writes his letters, he delivers some of them. This is not an exhaustive list of the spiritual blessings, because we can go on and on about how many things that Revelation tells us are going to be in the spiritual heavenly places. But here are some of those. Now first, this was interesting. This is the Greek word of the day for you, right? The Greek word for blessing is eulogy. Eulogy. That sounds familiar, right? What's the eulogy? When we stand up at a funeral, when I stand up, I delivered this last week, a eulogy for Sylvia 
What did I do? I spoke well of her. I spoke well of her. So this actually means to speak well, the same thing we do at that celebration like I did for Sylvia. So what is God speaking well of us about, and what is he giving us in this heavenly places? So these spiritual blessings, the first one is in verses 4 through 6. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. So the first blessing, spiritually, is election. Election. You were once dead in sin, and now you're alive in Christ. You have been elected to something else. That is a spiritual blessing. Now, because of Jesus' work, not your own. You don't have to like that you have nothing to do with that salvation, but you are elected to something better. And it's through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that election is even possible. The second one is in verse 5, and it's adoption. Adoption. So we have election and now adoption. In verse 5, he says he predestined us for what? Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You are now in the family. This adoption has happened, and now you're an heir with Christ. You're going to receive the same blessings that Christ did through the defeating of death. You're going to have eternal life. You're going to have a glorified body. You're going to be in the presence of the Lord forever. You have adoption. You're a child of God. Family legacy is now grafted in to God's family, not the earthly family. Do you understand that? The legacy of earthly family is broken. You don't have to stand in that and say, you know what, I just come from a long line of alcoholics. No, you come from the royal priesthood, a selected people, an elected people, an adopted people. You are a child of God. You are a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. That's the legacy we're now part of. John 1, 12 through 13 says it like this. John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, do you hear this? The right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is a work of God in your life. You don't have to understand it fully to believe that God's word is true. We... Those are things that, like these spiritually blessings in the heavenly places, for the most part, we don't see them, right? But we see the works in the people around us. We see what's going on that the heavenly places are working in everyone around us. Sometimes it looks ugly, let's just be honest, right? Sometimes I have to mess up to realize I need sanctification in that area of my life. And it's messy, but it happens. All right, election, adoption. The third spiritual blessing is that you're accepted. You are accepted. Election, adoption, accepted. And that's verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You are now beloved. You are now accepted. You are now favorable 
not through your own merit, but through Christ. Upon your death, God is going to give you a eulogy. God is going to give you a eulogy. Well done, good and faithful servant. God's going to give you a eulogy. That was powerful for me this, this week as I studied. This eulogy, as he speaks well of me, is powerful to think about. Because there are things that if I dwell on them in my past, that will just defeat me every single day, every single minute of my life. But God has called me to something greater. And you know what? Sometimes he uses men like me. A lot of times he uses men like me, women like you. Friends, he uses the broken. He uses the downtrodden. He uses all of us for his glory and his honor. Election, adoption, accepted. Redemption is the fourth spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Whew. If I have one verse for the rest of my life, please be that one. If my Bible somehow got all torn up and that was the only verse left, I could live off that one for the rest of my life until I see God again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. You've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb has purchased you. You are now redeemed. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this world can't touch you. Your sin can't negate that. He doesn't, Jesus does not have to be crucified every single time you sin. Your sins are forgiven, washed clean. The blood of the Lamb, because of Him, you are redeemed. Sin's no longer viewed as separating you from God. You are justified in the courts of God. Justification, instantly seen as innocent in the eyes of the Lord. That is powerful because we were supposed to get a death sentence. The moment you're saved, you're justified, which means you're innocent in the court of law for God. The fifth spiritual blessing is forgiveness. Ephesians 1.7 speaks to it again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You no longer have the guilt of sin. Some of you walked in here today feeling guilty because of your past sin. Some of you walked in here today because of the guilt of your sin from last night, this morning, walking through the doors. What you're going to do after here, there is no guilt in your sin. Repent, turn from it, emulate Jesus Christ, try to be more like him on a daily basis. God knows that there is no perfection except what's in his Son, there's nothing good in me except for Christ Jesus. So he knows that I'm not going to be perfected until I'm with him in glory. But until then, he expects progress from me. Progress from you. That begins when you understand grace, and you start to understand peace, and you forgive yourself. So often we get stuck on this forgiveness word. 
This forgiveness that, that I'm stuck in the past. I can't get past the things I did to move on to understand the future glory that is waiting for me in Christ Jesus. Drop it. Leave it here today. That junk is straight from the enemy. And he wants that baggage on you so that you cannot fully function in the Spirit of God and the fully function in the ministry he's called you to. That forgiveness will eat you alive and you will not be able to fly in the Spirit of God. I've shared with you that, that God give, gave me a vision. So God speaks to me in visions sometimes, impressions and visions. And in that, though, he spoke to me in this way that he showed me a hot air balloon and he had my sin written on the sandbags that hold a hot air balloon down. And I started tossing those sandbags off and guess what happened? I started to fly. Those past sins were keeping me grounded in this world. Those sins from your past are keeping you grounded in this world. And that is not where God wants you to be. He wants you to receive the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places and part of that is forgiveness. Move forward in forgiveness. Forget this world. Sixth spiritual blessing. So far we've had election, adoption, accepted, redemption, forgiveness, and now his will. A spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He can reveal his will to you. And how does he do that? Verses 8 through 10. So we go from the, the forgiveness of our trespasses in verse 7, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You now have access to God's will through his word and his revelation to you. Whew. that has to motivate you. That has to excite you. The revelation of his will to you specifically, to us as a collective church body, his will is revealed through his word. Guess what? You're not going to know his will for your life if you're not reading his word. His wisdom and insight is found in his word. So when you come to me and go, I don't know what God wants for my life, have you been reading his word? Because what he wants for your life is right there. Right there. Read his word. Pray. Seek out fellowship. Seek out mentors. Seek out accountability partners. If you're struggling in a sin propensity in your life, seek out someone who has defeated it and will hold you accountable to it. Don't seek out someone who's just like you because now you're just two fools hanging out together. Right? What happens when two fools get together? It's going to be a good time, but it's going to be a mess, right? Soup sandwich, that's right. Aligning your thoughts, aligning your life, aligning your will to God's will, that's an unstoppable force. That is an unstoppable force. That is what got the disciples killed. That is what got them killed. They aligned themselves to the will of God, and guess what? The gospel went forth, the church spread, people were being saved, the spirit was moving, and guess what? The authorities and the principalities of the air infiltrated and decided they needed to die. 
We're going to crucify them. We're going to put them on the end of a spear. We're going to boil them in in hot oil. We're going to hang the Christians up as lights for our parties as they're crucified and lit on fire. But you know what? The gospel still spread. Align your will. Align your life. Align your thoughts with his will. And guess what? It's an unstoppable force. Because when they, they kill one of us, the gospel spreads even more. Election, adoption, exception, redemption, forgiveness, his will, inheritance, seven spiritual blessing. Verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So now that we've been grafted into this family, we now have an inheritance that is due to us. We never deserved it, but Christ died for our sins, and because of that and our, our uh, election, God has now grafted us in, and we have this inheritance. You can't even begin to understand this inheritance. We have little glimpses of it here in Scripture. When he says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you in my Father's house, what? Yes. I want to live there. If the creator of all things, if the God of this universe, if he who created all this has a place for me, I want to see that. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. We talked about this before when we're we're talking about the glorification of our bodies. And I think about the greatest potluck I've ever been to isn't going to be anything like the, the feast of the lamb. When I get to taste What God has prepared for me with perfected taste buds? What? I don't care what that meal is. I'm actually going to eat it. And if you know me, I'm a picky eater. Whatever God puts in front of me, that is mine. That spiritual blessing and what he's prepared for me? Come on. Let's move. Let's see that. Give me a glimpse of that just for one moment, Lord. And you know what? I get to see that just for a moment when we sit here and have potluck. That's what heaven's going to be like. We're going to sit together, we're going to praise God together, and we're going to feast and celebrate that, you know what? The world tried to kill us, the world tried to smash us, the world tried to negate our message, and look where we are now. Not because of anything I did, but because of the holiness and righteousness that God called me to through Christ Jesus. So we have an inheritance waiting for us. And I think of this eternal home The presence of God. Think of the book of Genesis when God gave Adam and Eve the ministry of presence. He's going to be with us. New heaven, new earth. I can't even imagine what else is waiting for us. I think of this time I bought Jeremy a go-kart. He was like four. That was really dumb. Don't question my parenting. But I built it for him And he cheated and saw it. He saw it. And I was so angry. Like, you ruined your gift. But you know what? He still enjoyed it on Christmas Day. He tore up our neighborhood. And he was dangerous on that thing. We had a helmet on. And if you know us and our parenting, that's quite a step. But, oh, Lord, just a glimpse of one of those gifts you have in store for me. It's not going to ruin the gift. It's just going to make it even all that more palatable for me to just go, you know what? I read in Scripture that you have gifts for me, 
and it's going to be amazing. Let me just see one of them. He says, my presence. Read it in Genesis. Your salvation. Read it in Ephesians. Your redemption. Read it in my word. Those are just the gifts that we know that are going to get us there, much less the gifts that are going to be there. Eighth and final spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. What? So after all of this, after everything that Jesus did for us on the cross, now he's going to send himself to dwell in us? We are so unworthy and undeserving of this, but yet he does it. And now we have God living inside of us. And not only that, by the sealing of the Holy Spirit, God says, with a brand, you are mine. You are mine. Like all I can think about is, you know what? Put that brand on me. Let people see it around me. Let them see the Holy Spirit dwells in Zach and he is God's child. I want that for all of you. Walk through this world not caring what happens to you, not believing the lies of the enemy, saying, you know what? I'm branded. You might not see it, but you're going to see it through the way I act. You're going to see the branding of the Holy Spirit in me. I am the temple of the living God. You can't tear that down. And where I stand is holy ground, and I'm going to move forth as the light in this place. I have been marked God's chosen child. It's God's way of saying, these are my children, and you can't touch them, Satan. The adversary loses no matter what. No matter what. When you look at the children around the church, this is amazing to me. You can look at my children and you go, oh my goodness, those are Zach's kids. Right? I look at the Newman twins. I look at the Newman kids. I look at all of your children and I can see the parents in every one of them. Can the world see your father in you right now? Can the world see your father I've already told you that the legacy of your earthly parents is gone. Can the world see your new grafting in to the children of God, your new father in you? Can they see it? Because if they can't, there's a problem. But if they can, man, that's world-changing attitude. And how does that happen? The pursuit of holiness and righteousness. Repentance getting away from it, allowing the Holy Spirit to drive everyday activities that you think might be mundane or irrelevant, everything you do has a purpose. When you read Scripture, everywhere that Christ went, he was bringing the kingdom of God with him. I don't care if you're going to Publix or the ball field or Golden Corral or Potluck here at church, you bring the kingdom of God with you. And you have a responsibility to walk forward in that. And that spiritual blessing is that Christ died for your sins, was buried for your sins, but he rose again, defeating death and your sins. Now you're marked by God as one of his children. So now everywhere you go, the kingdom of God goes with you. And you have a responsibility. This world can't touch that. They can try. They can kill you. Guess what happens? They kill you. You're in eternity with Christ. Like this, this world thinks that they can snuff that out. They'll never snuff it out. But you're to be more like Christ 
on a daily basis. So what were the eight blessings? The eight blessings were election, adoption, exception, redemption, forgiveness, His will, inheritance, and sealing of the Holy Spirit. I tried to come up with a fun acronym for you, and I couldn't. But it's right here in God's Word. You should read it. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Thank you for coming today and starting this journey through Ephesians. If you think Ecclesiastes wrecked you, Ephesians is going to wreck you as well, but in an entirely different way like God's Word always does. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I read this week about prayer and how we're supposed to lift holy hands to the Lord. And so, Lord, today, if I can even be remotely cleansed and lift holy hands to you, I pray for all of us. I pray for this congregation that we don't come to you in a defiled manner. We don't offer you strange fire. We don't offer you these things that are not of you. Because, Lord, we know from your word what you do to that. So we come to you covered by the blood of the Lamb, drenched in love, and clean. And so, Lord, we pray for that salvation. Father, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, Lord, Open their heart in this moment. Save them. We don't know if we have tomorrow. We don't know if we have this afternoon. Lord, move in our lives. Change this world. Break the legacy of our family here on this earth. Remind us that we're grafted into a new family. One that doesn't look at our past, but looks towards the future eternal blessing of living with you and having you in our lives like none other that we've ever experienced. Lord, thank you for sealing us with the Holy Spirit. Thank you that the work was complete on the cross. We don't have to die because when we die, we take that first step into glory. Lord, move. Move right now. We love you. We praise you. And we know that through grace, we are saved so that we can have that cessation of hostility in our life, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen.